Test, test, test. We've almost got it. Jonathan, tweak that knob over there just a bit. By God, I think that's it. Broadcasting from a secret room inside the ancient ruins of Grandma's house, deep within the mystery ghetto, somewhere in the beautiful state of California. It's time for the big guy and his crazy take on life. Here is the BS Perspective with Brian Stanley. Welcome to the BS Perspective. I'm Brian Stanley. This is the inaugural episode of this lovely podcast. It's been bouncing around my head for a long time, and finally it's come to flourishion. Uh, there are a couple of people who have motivated me to do this, one being uh, the film director, Kevin Smith, who ventured into the realm of podcasting, always encouraging his fans to do podcasts, and, and then my friends, uh, Charles and Steven, who I do a podcast with. Uh, I really got into the swing of it, wanted to dive into more personal topics that I'm interested in. And so here we go, the BS perspective. We're going to talk about anything and everything I want with a, a new guest every week. They might return through uh, from time to time, but we're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to get to know our guests, and then we're going to dive into some fun topics that I want to know about. And my first guest, a great friend of mine, a mentor to me in the world of sports broadcasting, the voice, let me rephrase that, the broadcast voice of the San Jose Spartans Athletics, Justin Allegre. How you doing, Justin? Good, Brian. How are you? It's, uh, it's good to talk with you, and it's, uh, it's always fun to see your success and uh, building your broadcast brand yourself, and so... I'm happy to join you on your first episode. I felt it was only right to have you on. You've given me a lot of pointers, uh, guided me in the direction of uh, things to pick up, to purchase, to help me along the way. And uh, who better else could I think of? Uh, there's, there is a list, <laughs> but you immediately rose to the top. A uh, couple names on that list going down. Uh, people might recognize is Kevin Richardson's confirmed, uh, Chris Sylvester, Cal Poly Sports, uh, Charles Summer, uh, Stephen Hodges, Slowpoke Sports, and, and there's a few others out there. But we're going to – we have uh, we have some dreams. Uh, one, Sergeant Slaughter. So if anybody knows him, send him my way. He follows me on Twitter, legitly. Uh, and then uh, Giorgio Sukalos is another one he's from ancient aliens on the history channel so let's get into the interview let's find out first who is justin allegre off and on the mic oh gosh um on the mic i i try to be as excitable as possible i try to you know not be a homer uh i i don't think that uh, that listeners like that but um I try to have fun. I, I think if you're not having fun on the radio or wherever you're broadcasting, then your fans aren't going to have fun. Your listeners aren't going to have fun. So I try to be, bring a little bit of energy, love telling stories. I love to telling stories about the players that I'm calling games for. 
um, and, and what makes every situation uh, more important. You know, Kevin and I always talk about narratives throughout the season, whether it be a, a team narrative throughout the season, a player storyline for the season, a player storyline for the game or for the quarter. There, there's always something to talk about. And that's really why I like doing it. Uh, I'm also a nerd when it comes to to audio engineering. Like I, I love setting up complex audio stuff and getting it done and um, have fun with it to make, try and make every element to the broadcast better in any way that I can. Now off of the mic, um, I'm, I'm, I'm just as much of a nerd for other things. Uh, you know, I'm a goofball. I love movies. I love uh, hanging out, playing sports, uh, whether it be golf or, or old man softball, as we call it in Santa Cruz. Um, uh, happily married uh, to my wife, who I met at San Jose State, which is always a fun story. Um, but yeah, man, it's, uh, it, it's, it's fun being where I'm at, and, and I'm fortunate to be in the position that I'm at. Well, this is a place for stories, so let's start with our first one. You say it's an interesting story how you met your wife. Uh, let's get into that. Okay, all right. Well, uh, Spartan fans, I, I guess this is a kind of a, a dream scenario for Spartan fans because I went to San Jose State. My wife went to San Jose State. She grew up in, uh, in San Diego, and we both had roommates in college. We were both living in the dorms in Campus Village that uh, wanted to go to this party at the International House one night, and I said, gosh, I'm, I'm not into that. Like, what, what, what are we going to accomplish from going to this party at the International? Oh, we'll meet girls. And I was like, okay, yeah, sure. That, that's what everybody always says, but it never happens, right? Yeah. So we go to this party, and um, the International House is so much fun just because you meet so many people that are, that are different cultures. They know different languages. They, it, it's so much fun to talk to them. So, you know, we went there, and my roommate was being super shy, and uh, – there was a group of, of college girls over in the corner and they were kind of being shy. So I just walked up to one of them and it happened to be my wife and well, my future wife. And uh, she was telling the story that her roommate said, we got to go to this party because there'll be guys there. And she was like, no, there won't be. So we kind of shared some laughs and uh, little did we know that, you know, I guess that was gosh, 10 years ago. Now um, we dated through college and got married a, a couple years back. So it's a, it's a story that I tell San Jose State fans, and they love it because we, we met at college, but it was more of a story of two people not wanting to go to a party because we thought it would be lame and us being the only ones that actually met somebody at that party. So it's pretty funny. Yeah, I, I kind of have a similar story, not relationship-wise, but uh, people, when I showed up to San Jose State or was going, are you going to join a fraternity? Mm-hmm. Nah, not my thing. Uh, well... I ended up joining a fraternity. Yeah. You never know what happens, right? Yeah. It, it was, was it my thing? Met some guys, really cool guys. They asked me if I wanted to join. I was like, if you want to give me an invitation, I'm not going to turn it down, but that's not my objective. Sure. Uh, and it happened. So a uh, little back history, you and I both San Jose State Spartan grads. I graduated in 2016. I believe you graduated in 2010 and then 2013 with a master's. Yep, that's right. That's right. And from there, you've been around the Spartans the last 13 years? Yeah, they can't get rid of me. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I graduated from San Jose State with my undergrad in radio, TV, and film and a minor in broadcast journalism. And at the time, I was doing uh, the campus radio station, KSJS, and 
tried to do as many broadcasts as possible, you know, on, on the college radio side. And so I got to learn the the craft and how I needed to sound on the air and what I needed to do. And um, I developed some relationships within the athletics department that allowed me to, to kind of get a little bit more insight and be more on the inner part of that circle than other students were, um, but there were no job openings. So I went and took a uh, position with the Bellingham Bells in the West Coast League, which is a collegiate wood bat league in the summer. And I did 58 games for them in about 65 days and really, really got to know how to broadcast because you make mistakes, you, you learn from those mistakes, you learn what you need to do better and how to do them better just because you're having so many reps back to back to back to back to back. Uh, and by the time I was done with that job, San Jose State Athletics called and said, hey, we've got an opening to um, have a broadcaster for basketball, men's basketball. Would you want to take it? I said, sure. Um, so came back to San Jose and then started going to grad school just because I figured if I'm going to do basketball, I'm going to be around campus. Uh, it wasn't a full-time job. So I wanted to, to make something else with my time. Uh, did grad school. And then finished that. And by the time I finished grad school, San Jose State said, hey, football jobs opened up. Do, do you want to take that position too? And so it worked out and been doing football and basketball ever since. Um, and with a full-time role, I do the multimedia coordination is what the, the, the title is. But what it is, is the, all the live streams I coordinate, uh, do the TV show for San Jose State and various other roles throughout the athletics department uh, with with video elements uh, mostly. So it's been fun. Um, certainly is, is, uh, is fun to watch a, a football team that's starting to grow and, and get really, really good. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's the backstory, I guess, from San Jose State. It's been, been all Spartans for me since 08 when I first set foot on campus. Was uh, broadcasting your dream, your long-term goal? Or was, did you have a different future when you arrived to campus? So I, I went to a community college over in Santa Cruz called Cabrillo College because I didn't know what I wanted to do. Uh, and when you come out of a high school, I, a, a lot of people that played sports in high school, I played baseball in high school, my whole mindset, well, well I'm going to play in college, you know, well, I'll have fun, see if I could be a student athlete in college. Well, that's not the case for a lot of people. And it certainly wasn't the case for me. Um, so I, I tried to figure out what I wanted to do by going to community college. And there were a couple of classes there in journalism. And I was like, this is, this is pretty fun. I kind of like this. So let's see what I can do. I still like sports. Uh, I seem to like journalism. Where can I connect there? Well, maybe I can talk about sports. So uh, I looked in some of the, the colleges in the area and out of the area for a sports broadcasting program. And one of the great ones was at San Jose state. And uh, they they allowed me to get on the air in the first semester of of college and and I didn't know anything about being on the radio so uh, it, it was uh, it was something I didn't know that I would get into I didn't know I would like you know you, you try it and it's nerve wracking um, but then I got addicted to it and I can't get enough of it now uh, but it, it didn't occur to me until probably that that first radio broadcast where I was I was doing a baseball game and I thought I could do this. I, I could I could do this, and ever since then I've just poured everything I have into being a broadcaster. Uh, we walk the same path pretty much uh, on getting into broadcasting. Uh, I thought I'd go to Santa State, be a photojournalist. Uh, numerous instructors encourage me to write more because I am a good writer. I just absolutely hate writing. Yeah, yeah. and. 
I did that. And then I, after graduation, I had to come home, care for my grandmother, uh, met a few people, landed an opportunity to get on the mic. Uh, didn't think it was going to turn any, anything after that. And then another opportunity you, you got addicted too didn't you because i remember I, when you called, I remember when you called me and you said i got a chance to do i, I think it was a was it a football game your first one no basketball basketball, basketball. i remember you called and you, and you said hey you know what advice can you give me i'm gonna try this and let's see what happens and uh and i remember you i remember listening to one of your early games and from from there to now the improvements that you've made have just been great yeah. But it is addicting, though, isn't it? I mean, it's like you can't get enough of it once you get that first that first broadcast going. My first basketball game, absolutely atrocious. Oh, my first baseball game was I, I, unlistenable. Unlistenable. I didn't know where the ball was. I thought I knew the basketball game. Yeah. And not until you broadcast it. But see, that's, that's, that's for me, too. I, I thought I knew baseball. I grew up playing it. Yeah. But And so I'm like, I'm, in my head, I'm like, oh, okay, well, I can go into this game and know exactly what to do like this will be easy i'm just talking about baseball but you don't know what you don't know and there are so many things going on behind the scenes that a broadcaster needs to do to make it sound good yeah. and that's just stuff that you have to learn along the way you can't just show up and make magic happen on the radio it, just, it doesn't work that way and if and if you're lucky enough to sound really good on your first broadcast you're probably going places <laughs> so uh so it, it's always it's always a learning experience that's for sure and speaking of magic on the radio, some of your fans, some of fans of video games might recognize you from MLB The Show. Uh, you do the radio voice. Uh, how'd you land that gig? And talk about your experience through all that. Yeah, ma magic is, is a good word for it because the people that produce that video game are just phenomenal. Like, like I, I figured it would be this high level, almost like a Hollywood production. And it's so much more than that. Those guys put so much work into making that sound great. And my role is just such a small part of the video game. So um, I had a, I had a, uh, I don't even know if I'd call him a friend, I, I, a guy I knew in high school who played baseball against us, I was familiar with and um, kind of kept in close, uh, loose contact over the years. I knew he went and played a college ball in San Diego. And so um we knew each other. We had some conversations. I, I became friends with his future wife while I was at uh, community college. And um, he got out of, of his playing days and took a job with MLB The Show as their interns motion capture guy. You know, the guy that wears the suit that has the little balls on it that they can take in. And he was doing all the, the, the mimicking of motions of major league players. And that turned into a full time job for him as a producer. And all the while I, I'm doing my broadcasting thing. He's doing his producer thing. And then they, they, him and his wife get married and I get to know him a lot better. And he said, Hey, look, we, we've got this new role uh, at MLB the show that we want to implement. We don't want a big name broadcaster. Uh, and I know you, I do minor league baseball. I'm not the primary voice of, voice of the San Jose giants, but I'm one of them. They said, we're looking for somebody like you to do this radio show would you want to apply sure <laughs> absolutely i'd like to apply i went through this process where you're reading scripts and you're submitting your audio and uh end up that i that i got the gig and uh i've i've loved every second that i get to work with them it's not often you know i only do maybe three or four recording sessions a year with them now 
but they're just they're just so much fun to work with and it's a baseball mecca their studio i mean they have a they have some of their 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 offices themed after ballparks i mean the green wall the fenway's green monster is is sitting in front as you walk into their building it's it's just really really cool and they're down in san diego it's a lot of fun so been fortunate man that 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 is something i never would have thought would have been an option to do but here we are i think this last uh, mlb the show 2020 was my sixth game that i'm on so do you play the game i do i i don't play it much and if you asked me that last year, I probably would have told you, gosh, I mean, I turned it on a couple of times, but now that I have extra time at home, yeah. oh, I'm cranking with that game every once in a while. Uh, but always, always with myself on mute because it kind of grinds my teeth when I, <laughs> when I hear it. <laughs> You never want to hear yourself as a oh, no. oh, man. It's like Inception, right? If I'm, if, I'm, if I'm in the video game as myself, talking to myself, for myself it's like no that, that that's that's too much i'm sorry that's too much <laughs> yeah you don't want to entertain yourself no 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 uh back to the broadcasting booth at san jose state you've seen this team um i guess i don't want to say fall from glory but they were a nationally ranked team the coach left went into a rebuild uh under uh ron Carriger. Uh, he had some success, made a bowl game, and, and then we got a new coach with um, with Coach Brent Brennan. How do those two coaches' uh, environment within the program, how do the environment under those two coaches uh, uh, compare in the program? Because they both brought energy. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, you know, when, when Coach Carragher took over, we didn't really know what it was going to be like, but the expectation was to have a similar season the year before. And the year before was a historic season. You have David fails and you get to that military bowl with a double digit win total. That's special. Spartan fans have been waiting a long time for that to happen. So when they came back off that year and won six games, you know, is six games is usually a good season for a San Jose state team you know, in, in the recent past, but it was kind of a letdown um, that they didn't, they didn't make a bowl that year. And I know they got, they got left out, but they had that big win against Fresno state. I think the biggest difference is that coach Brennan has this overall idea of what the program is going to be, what he wants it to be, how he wants to build it to be a sustained winning program in the future. I think coach Carragher was trying to, get the team just the wins he wasn't really focused on the other outside elements he wanted to get the team the wins um and and build the program that way whereas coach Carragher kind of started from the ground and then went back or coach Brennan started from the ground and went back up and that's why you're seeing things like the beyond football program uh things in terms of uh the fundraising elements and and the community service elements uh, really flourish before the wins started to come. And that's tough to do because fans are not patient. They want to see wins. Um, but Coach Brennan has been able to do all of those elements to, to, to bring the program up and elevate it. And now the wins are starting to come. And if all that falls in line, the program has that sustainability moving forward. Uh, and don't get me wrong, I, I love both of those head coaches. I, I had great conversations with Coach Carragher. 
um, and, and all the coaching staff that came through with him. And I have a great relationship with coach Brennan and, and the current coaching staff. Uh, but you know, that's why you make changes. You, you, you want to see what another person can come in and do. And uh, so far it's been ultra impressive what coach Brennan has been able to do. A uh, quick story about Carragher. When I was covering the Spartans for the Spartan daily, we were at a post-game press conference and I always set my phone right next to the mic uh, to pick up the post-game interview. Uh, Carragher does his interview, says thank you, stands up, picks up my phone, walks in the <laughs> locker room. This is mine, right? Yeah, that's mine. <laughs> yeah, just, just sets claim to it. I run over to Laura's and like, that's my, my phone returns like 20 minutes later yeah. uh, with a specific instruction to uh, delete the audio because it had been running for 20 minutes in the locker room. You had, you had that inside scoop had you so choose uh, chosen. Yeah, I could have. Out of respect for everybody, simple mistake. I'll take it. Um, one thing, uh, this podcast uh, recorded before San Jose State's Friday game uh, with the Nevada Wolfpack. So we can't really talk about the implications going forward for the Mountain West Championship. Sure. But let's talk about the Spartans coming up to that game as this comes out on the Tuesday after. Uh, the 5-0, and for the first time in 1939, it's a big point in history for them to be there. How big is it for the program, the athletic department, and kind of the school as a whole? Well, yeah, you, you think back about the the starts to the season that this team has had, and you know, obviously you, you just mentioned 1939 was the last time they started off 5-0. and They went 13-0 and that year. There haven't been many strong starts from this Spartan team in program history, uh, and this in terms of lining up with what the vision of Coach Brennan is, is what you need uh, because it's rejuvenated the, the fan base, uh, the donor base, it's allowed San Jose State Athletics to be put more on the map. I mean, we're hearing KMBR talk about San Jose State. When was the last time they did that? Maybe in the military bowl season, but not much before then either. Uh, we're seeing, you know, top 10 plays on Sports Center that are San Jose State. Uh, and that's all uh, that you, you, these things that build the brand for the Spartans. Uh, but in, in context of, of historic uh, seasons, I was trying to think back earlier this week. I don't know that there have been many games leading up to this, this late in the season where you say, this is a big one. I mean, Spartans versus the Wolfpack winner goes to the championship game. When was the last time we could talk about this meaningful of a game late in the season? And, and there aren't that many years that you can do it. Uh, so just in that context, this is going to be a major one. And I know Spartan fans were disappointed when the Spartans went to Boise and ended up not playing. Uh, but this is just as big of a game because it gets you to that ultimate goal, a, a spot to compete for the title. And for so many years, this team was not thought of as something that someone, uh, a team that could be a competitor for the title. And it's been a goal for the Spartans. Uh, and, and now they have that opportunity and how will they handle it? will will be a big part of it. And in, Look, even if they don't make the title game, this season is still 
one to remember for San Jose State. And uh, they will likely make a bowl even if they don't win this game, but you'd, you'd love to see them in a title game. Yeah, we'll break down the uh, cancellation of games within the Mountain West uh, a little bit later. But let's start to get a little fun. Let's talk about your travels. Okay. I know, I know you've been a few places. We've obviously been to Honolulu, Hawaii. Yeah, yeah, You've yeah. been to New York City a couple times. I think you've been to the Bahamas. Oh, no, that wasn't me, unfortunately. Okay. I didn't, I didn't go on that trip. We, we had a conflict, so I, I sent, you know, Jess Canaster. Yes. He got to go to the Bahamas in my place, uh, and I was, I was jealous then, and I'm jealous now. <laughs> okay. And then I, other places, uh, Denver, Colorado, and big city. Uh, and then one that stuck out to me, uh, Fayetteville, Arkansas. Right, I right. You know why. Well. Uh, real quick, these questions. What cities stand out to you for fond memories? And what cities do you really want to return to? Oh, gosh, that's a good question. Um, I, I think back to last year when I was talking to you, and I'm trying to pull it up on my computer as we speak right now. You said, hey, I've got this, I've got this map of places that I've been to, right? Um, yeah. And so I took that and, and ran with it and made a, a map of the broadcast locations that I've been to and I'm, I'm pulling it up right now. So I'll have to check. I, I don't know the numbers. I know I've been to uh, 41 States so far and not every one of them I broadcasted in, but a, a, a lot of those I have. Um, and that's part of the fun of being a broadcaster because you get to travel, you get to see parts of the country that you probably normally wouldn't see. Obviously, everybody thinks of the Hawaii game and the experience of going to the islands as a fun one. I always think of it as a long road trip, the longest road trip of the year. The flight back is is an overnight flight. It's rough. Um, but Honolulu's a fun town. Um, maybe one of my favorite towns that we go to, though, is Fort Collins, Colorado. It has every bit of the small town college feel to it. But you're in you're in Colorado, and I, I love that state. I love the mountains. I love the fresh air. I love all that. Um, and there's a great downtown uh, part of Fort Collins. They light it up during the winter time. It's beautiful. It never really gets super super cold, even if there is snow. Um, so that's one of my favorite spots. Arkansas. You know, we didn't get to spend too much time. We stayed outside of Fayetteville. Uh, we do go downtown for dinner the night before the game, and. That atmosphere was great because it, an SEC home game is like no other experience. Uh, they're, they're tailgating the night before. Um, the, the video boards in the, in the Razorback uh, Stadium were, were on and just lit red. So the entire stadium had this red glow about it. So you knew where the stadium was, even if you were a quarter mile away. Um, so that was fun. And, and the downtown area, everybody's wearing Arkansas gear. Everybody's talking about the game the next night. And here we are with our Spartan logos. Um, I, I think too, to, to Auburn, Alabama, that, that town may have the nicest fans in college football, uh, because everybody walked up and said, Hey, thanks for coming. Uh, hope you enjoy your experience. If there's anything you need, let us know. We can point you in the right direction. And I never had a fan come up and trash talk or anything in in that town it was great and another small town uh i think i can't remember the exact number but when auburn's has has a home game 
that town turns into the third largest city, I think, in Alabama because they, they pack it in with 80,000 plus fans. And then there's 20,000 outside watching on TV screens. It's just, it's just wild. Um, the, the crazy, the crazy parts of the travel though, I'll give you two stories. Uh, when the Spartans went to the cure bowl in 2015, we flew to uh, Orlando and had a few nights there just because bowls, they, they have that extra couple of, of days of practice and there's all the pomp and circumstance and whatnot. We played that game and, um, I had to hop on a flight the next morning to go to Seattle because our basketball team was playing a one o'clock game against Seattle uh, up in uh, Key Arena. So, which is the second longest uh, domestic continental U.S. flight, Orlando to Seattle. Uh, brutal, brutal. And, you know, I'm trying to sleep on the flight, just wasn't working. Uh, and then I went and called a basketball game and then flew back the next day. Only longer flight is Miami to, to Seattle. The longest flight in the U.S. is from Boston to Honolulu. The second longest is from New York to Honolulu. And I took that last year uh, because our basketball team played at Hofstra. And then uh, we played two days later football in, in Hawaii. So I took that. That's a six and a half, seven hour flight. No, no, I'm sorry. Twelve hour flight. I don't even remember. Something like that. Something long. I think it was 10 or 11. I can't remember. Um, did that. And then the next day flew back, did a home game for San Jose state basketball. And then the next day flew to Arizona with the basketball team. So I was, I was around a lot last year, but, uh, the travel is always fun. I, I always love that part of it. I, I, in this 2020 year where I'm not traveling, I'm doing some games remotely. I, I miss that part of it. Um, because you get to, to develop relationships with people that you're traveling with and you meet new people and you see new places. Uh, I remember you talking about last year when I was in the booth with you hanging out uh, that trip to New York with the basketball team and you had been there previously with the football team when you were at West Point. Right. Uh, and then, so yeah. you had already had the tour in New York. Right. Right. And, and then you're running around with the basketball team like, Oh, that's that. That's that. That's that <laughs> being their tour guy. So I, I hadn't been to New York city, uh, the only time prior to last year that I'd been to New York was in 2001 in August. And, you know, I was 12 or 13. Um, so I didn't really remember too much of it. So we went with, with army and my broadcast partner and I, Kevin, we love to sightsee. So even though we stayed in Mawa way outside of New York, we took a train to New Jersey, took a ferry over to Manhattan, and we saw the town. I mean, we sightseed uh, everything, everything. Um, my my wife made the trip because her her parents live in uh, in D.C., so we we took the ferry over to Ellis Island. We saw everything. So the next week, when we came back out with the basketball team, I was walking around like I knew where everything was, and I wasn't even using a map because I was that cool dude, and no one knew the difference. So. Um, yeah, I was able to, to show the guys, you know, the 9-11 Memorial and Wall Street and all that stuff. It was it was pretty cool. And then before we move on to the conversation, let's wrap up this interview. You mentioned you were broadcasting from home. You revealed the cat in the bag. <laughs> I wasn't going to bring it up. Uh, but you have a setup when you do football in Kevin Richardson's garage. Yeah, our Selena studio. Uh, your Selena <laughs> studio. I listened 
from Ho- uh, for the broadcast from Hawaii uh-huh. via Salinas. Uh, you're starting to sound like the uh, San Francisco 49ers. Hey, I mean, it, it's it's just that year, right? I mean, the 49ers, every NFL team, they're not traveling their broadcaster. Uh, the Pac-12 is not traveling their broadcast crews. Yeah. Um, Mountain West guys, I think, were hesitant to try and call football games remotely. But Kevin and I were so confident that we decided before the season that we could get it done. Um, and we were going to do the New Mexico game remotely, but that was changed to San Jose. We were set to do the Boise State game remotely, but that was canceled. And so this was our first one, and it went off without a hitch. Uh, and we were very, very, um, very happy with it and proud of, of the ability to do that. And uh, it all it all is set up in Kevin's garage. We got two screens, uh, one on delay, one on live. We even pull the ref mic from one of the TV audio feeds. And uh, we have an embedded crowd sound that we just lay underneath and then we talk about football and it, it worked really well. I was skeptical because as broadcasters, we're, we're watching the game live and we have the ability to see everything on the field. And when I say everything on the field, I don't mean where the ball is. I mean, if I want to look at, you know, coach Brennan talking to the second string running back about something he saw in that last play, I can see that. And I can translate that to fans. You can't do that with TV. Um, you're at the mercy of what you see in, in front of you. I thought that would be a little bit more challenging, but it ended up being pretty smooth and pretty easy to, to adapt the call for it. Um, and now we're going to have to do some basketball games that way too. I won't do those from the Salinas studio. I'll do those from the Santa Cruz studio, which is my, uh, my, my second bedroom in my apartment. But um, yeah, I was, pretty, I was pretty happy with it. So you're not going to be making the trip down to Cal Poly with the basketball team this weekend? No, and, and there, there are a lot of reasons for that. Um, I'm just trying to, to be as precautious and safe as possible. And um, I know that broadcasting and going to sporting events, even though there aren't fans in the stands, there is still an inherent risk about yeah. contracting the virus. And I'm just trying to limit the amount of times that I could potentially be exposed. And on the other side of that, Santa Clara County and the Spartans have worked closely to make sure that we're not, you know, part of the worsening curve, that we're, we're doing our part to, to help that. And if not traveling me just alleviates a little bit of that, I'm willing to do it and, and we're capable of doing it. So why not do it? Before we take a quick break, why don't we go ahead and let the listeners know where they can find you out on the interwebs, Justin? Uh, well, uh, for our broadcasts or for me personally? Both. These are all things I know, but uh, why don't you share with the listeners how they can find you on Twitter, your website, and how they can follow your broadcast with San Jose State Athletics. Yeah, SGSUSpartans.com is the easiest way to do that. Uh, we have a tune-in page, San Jose State uh, Football, San Jose State Basketball have uh, tune-in pages that you can listen to our broadcast, even if you're outside the broadcast range of our radio stations. And then for myself, it's uh, justinallegri.com you can uh, check out all of the uh, samples that I have there or you can follow me on Twitter at Justin Allegri and uh, you can follow Brian Stanley's podcast that's me Brian Stanley just want to make that clear you can follow uh, the BS perspective at B Stanley Media uh, have a couple websites I'll lead you into the same spot uh, the BS perspective.com brianstanleymedia.com and if you want to follow my sports work 
Stanley on Sports on Twitter. Uh, all the links for social media accounts are also found on my website. We'll be right back. Give us a like. Uh, coming up, we're going to dive into the conversation, get some opinions from Justin Allegre. You're listening to The BS Perspective with Brian Stanley. Welcome back to the BS Perspective. I'm Brian Stanley. Joining me and my guests in the inaugural podcast, Justin Allegre, the broadcast voice of San Jose State Spartans, uh, the voice of MLB, the show, the radio voice, I guess you would, we should say. And uh, let's dive into a little bit more uh, interesting things. Let's get your perspective. This is one that I also have a, a really big opinion on. Uh, in the time of COVID, we try to stay away from the politics of the world, but this is football related. Uh, in the Mountain West, as of this recording, uh, there have been nine canceled games in the uh -huh. world of football. Uh, some of those key matchups, Fresno State, San Jose State, uh, Boise State, San Jose State, Fresno State, San Diego State. Uh, a couple of the standout to me. I was very frustrated uh, after the second cancellation. It was a big game on Fox for San Jose State. They were playing Boise State. They had made the trip, canceled hours before kickoff. Uh, I know we talked about this off the air, but how do you view what's going on in the Mountain Rest right now with these cancellations? I mean, it's it's an inherent risk that um, games will be canceled just because we're playing in a pandemic. So how do you try and make it as safe as possible for the student athletes and the coaches and the support staff and all that so that there isn't an outbreak? Um, the answer is test three times a week and try and isolate as much as you can for the team. But still, we're seeing positive tests um, in college sports. Now, fortunately, we haven't seen a really bad outbreak yet, especially in the Mountain West Conference. But I, I think if if you're wanting to play football, and I understand the reason that that the uh, that the football needs to be played right now, and and the money that is involved. But if you're trying to get these games off, that's one thing that could happen. And um, fortunately for the Mountain West, it hasn't been a, a very major devastating storyline to go along with that. I mean, we, we've seen college football this year really, really devastate some some teams to the point where they don't even have 53 players available. Uh, I think Washington this week is in that that case right now. Um, so I think the Mountain West has done a good job with that. In order to do a good job, um, things have to be changed. And when things are changed or 
teams or programs try and go and bend the rules a little bit so that you can play games, that's where you're seeing all these logistical problems. Um, you can look at what San Jose State has had to do, and they've moved mountains just to play football this year. And it's not easy to do, and it's it's taken a toll on not only the players and coaches, but but the rest of the department and uh, having to relocate or you know cancel things night of game, rebook some other stuff the day before. It's it's tough, uh, but that's what that's what you know you you're taking that into account when you play in a pandemic. And fortunately for the Spartans, they they haven't had any issues themselves, but. They've had to, to cancel those two games, like you said. And looking around uh, the Mountain West, uh, teams that have had to make some drastic changes, San Jose State being one of them, having to move Hawaii's, their home game against Hawaii out to Hawaii. Mm -hmm. That's a travel logistic, getting all the equipment out there they need uh, for the athletes, not only the athletes themselves. And then having to move the Nevada game to Las Vegas because they can't play at home again. Right. And now when they're, you know, they posted a video a uh, day in the life of the team, mm -hmm. they're out there every afternoon unloading semi-trailers and reloading them after practice because they're yeah. sharing a field with New Mexico. And, and New Mexico is doing the same thing because they're trying to play football still and they can't play at home either. So they're having to play that jockey game. Should these games that get canceled be rescheduled for these student athletes? Uh, short answer is no. Um, I, I, if you're truly concerned about student athlete well-being, you can't put them in a position where they're going to potentially expose themselves even more or in a spot where you're postponing for a couple of weeks, uh, hoping that team isolates and does the right things and then uh, move on and who knows that make it canceled again. I, I think the only way to do that was to start the season when it was supposed to start in early September, late August and have a bunch of open dates. And we don't have the luxury of that right now because we didn't have the availability of all those rapid tests at that time. So with the tight window, um, I don't think that's really an option. I, I just don't. And I think from a cost perspective, it would just, it, w it would take on way too much for an athletic department. And in the, the realm of rankings, uh, there's, you know, we see at the top of the, the rankings right now, there's SEC schools and, and, uh, and other schools of, the, of that such that are floating at the top. Some of them are unbeaten. Some of them aren't. But you have the likes of Coastal Carolina and San Jose State uh, who aren't getting as much love but right. yet remain undefeated. How do, how do you think teams that come from G5 should be looked in this playoff picture for college football? It's tough because you have a team like Ohio State that's not even going to make the, the Big Ten championship game, and they've played four games, but they're being considered for the playoff, right? I mean, now granted they play – higher level competition, quote unquote, week in and week out. The Spartans haven't played a ranked team yet. Um, but at some point you have to look at, at the record and say, even if you haven't played a ranked team and you're undefeated, you, you should be considered for some some opportunity to play in, in a bigger level bowl. Um, I think that's why some of the, the more highly ranked group of five teams are, are getting that attention, but there's still only just that one spot that's a potential uh, for a group of five to, to get into those major bowls. So I, I think, 
you know, in a normal year, group of five schools would argue that they they want that seat at the table and more seats at the table. And in this year, I think that is magnified even more just because you have all these small sample sizes of, of the power five schools that are always there. And, you know, it, it's kind of the group of five saying, well, why not us? I mean, we, we've done just as much work. Why can't we be there? You know, um, whereas in a normal year, a group of five school may go to a power five school and lose. You know, we don't we don't know what a good group of five school would do to a, a, a power five this year. Um, I think that's going to be a conversation that teams always have and that that group of five schools always want. And this year in particular, I think there's more backing to that argument from the group of five perspective. Uh, before we move on to uh, more personal topics to each of us, we have one of each. Uh, what is some of the the good you've seen come out of this college football season as they've adjusted to uh, the way things have had to be done with coronavirus? I think the creativity of the athletics department really show you that things can be done when your backs are against the wall, when you have to do something, you can find out a way to do it. And I think the creativity has been there in terms of the good for the student athletes. um, You know, I, I think, and Kevin talks about this a lot that the workload on the body of a a college age student, especially in football is a lot, you know, you, you play 12 games. If you make a championship, there's 13, you make a bowl, it's 14. We're almost talking about an NFL season. Then you have spring ball and you have your fall camp. I mean, there is a lot going on there. And I think there's an argument to be made that a, a lighter load in spring would lead to better success of your student athletes in the fall. And if you brought that up last year, coaches would have laughed at you. So no, we need spring ball. We need to have these guys on the field. We need to have them hitting. We need to implement our offense and defense. Well, what about the guys physicality and and just resting up for the season ahead Um, and then going to school you know they have that thrown on top of them so I think we'll see different protocols and different health related restrictions and rules implemented because of the coronavirus that will benefit the student athlete health and safety in the long run and maybe those health and safety rules are something we never would have thought of before the shutdown and, and everybody had to think outside the box. I, I feel like uh, you made a good point about spring ball playing an impact on the student athletes and their performance. If you look at the NFL, uh, obviously we have the likes of Tom Brady and Drew Brees, even Philip Rivers being up there in age, uh, still playing ball. Now, granted, Drew Brees took a really nasty hit. That's an unexpected injury but they're still fairly playing fairly healthy. And I, they didn't really have to deal with the, the, the warm up practices, you know, uh, in, leading up to camp or camp. And then the preseason, uh, I think that really, you know, we're seeing that trend that it really does wear on your body when you're, you're banging around before you actually get into a game. Right, right, right. And, and I don't think a lot of thought or argument has been made for that because it's just been the norm, right? When it's the norm, it's the norm. Nobody's going to question it. We're going to go out and practice as much as we can and then play all those games in the fall. But um, I think there's an argument that could be made that some of these schools are better now because they didn't 
have their practices in the spring. And now I don't know what the what the evidence is there for another school, but I know that San Jose State only got a couple of practices and yeah, it was hard to not have those guys on the field and not have the new players, but Spartans are five and zero, and they're playing their best football that they have in close to a decade. So I, I don't know. It, it, it's, it's all in front of you. Um, so we'll see what happens in the spring. It's going to be quite interesting, but we still got to get through the uh, mountain West championship. That's right. That's uh, right. So hopefully it will be the Spartans. We, we will know by the time this premieres who's going to the championship game. It's between three schools, San Jose State Spartans, the Nevada Wolfpack, uh, battling it out Friday night. And then it will be uh, Boise State controlling their own destiny against uh, Wyoming on Saturday. So we will know more next week. Uh, fingers crossed. That's all we can hope for at this point. San Jose State's first championship game uh, in quite some time since the Big West, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. 1990, I think, is the number. So I'm excited. Uh, I'm definitely going to be locked in tomorrow or Friday night uh, listening to the broadcast. My usual uh, side stream with uh, the video of CBS Sports Network paired with the audio of Justin Allegra and Kevin Richardson. And we'll get those text messages uh, on our random factoids from, from Brian Stanley. We love to have those. Yeah. Before, before I jump into the next thing I told, I texted you, uh, we were uh, a couple games ago. You, uh, you had a system crash uh, and you couldn't get stats going. Right. And, right. and I'm driving with my mom cause she wanted to go to the casino and I'm like, I have a Spartan game. And she's like, well, I want to go. So like, okay, I'll just listen to the game. And I'm listening and I heard your, your, your cry for help. <laughs> and I'm, I'm always good at finding stuff on the internet. So I immediately went to my phone, started texting, didn't tell her anything. And I sent it out and we're listening in the car on the car stereo. And she hears you give me a shout out. Uh-huh. And this big grin comes over her face. And it was just, it made my night because... <laughs> Well, I'm glad I could do that because you were a big help. That was the game against San Diego State. And, you know, because of COVID restrictions, it's only myself and Kevin in the booth this year. So if something goes wrong, um, it's hard to troubleshoot when you're calling a game and trying to troubleshoot at the same time. Normally, we'd have a spotter or or somebody in the booth. And, and a lot of times that's been you at, at yeah, San Jose yeah. State home games. Um so I, I was happy that you were listening and responding and, and you were, you were the only one that responded when we, uh, when we made that call and otherwise we weren't going to have any stats, which is kind of necessary for a broadcast. Um, but yeah, that was, that was, that was a, a clutch. We called it a clutch, a Brian Stanley clutch. Yeah. Uh, so it, it, it was fun. Um, let's move on to the fun stuff. Let's, let's really get this, uh, this bull session going here. Uh, I know you are a diehard Star Wars fan. You oh, I'm a nerd. Know. I'm a nerd, man. They, you sneak it into your broadcasts. Uh, Kevin gives you a hard time from time to time when he tries to use the Star Wars cliches and butchers half of them. Yep, yep. Uh, um, you've had the band play you Star Wars at halftime. <laughs> uh, I know you've been to uh, John William concerts. Yes, yes. Uh, so let's dive into the geekdom of Justin Allegre and Star Wars and where did this start and where has it evolved to? 
Is it weird that I can tell you I remember the first time I saw Star Wars? No, because I can it's... remember the first time I saw Jurassic Park. So, okay, all right, all right. So it, it, my dad recorded Return of the Jedi on VHS when it was played on TV in the early 90s, you know? And I used to watch that darn VHS to the point where it wore out. I mean, I loved that movie and I would watch it all the time. And I didn't even know what it was called. I just remember telling my dad, hey, can you put on the tape where there's a bunch of fighting at the end and those laser swords? That's a really <laughs> cool movie. And so from then on out, I mean, I was I was hooked and, you know, I've, I've watched every bit of Star Wars anything ever and probably know way too much about the the whole universe and i guess it's the galaxy um than i should but it, it's fun to to bring up little inside jokes and stories through the broadcast and that's definitely one of them because anybody that knows me knows that in the back of my mind if i can make a star wars joke or pun or reference it's going to happen um and i appreciate i know we're we're, we're doing a podcast that's audio but brian is on, on the Zoom call right now has his virtual background as just this epic Star Wars poster. So I'm all about that. Yeah, I, I had to give tribute to to really give you some excitement of where we were going to give you to keep you focused. So I didn't right. so you didn't bell out on me like, oh, this podcast sucks. Let's get <laughs> out of here. You know, just to keep you keep the hope alive. The hope is you know, strong. And, and and it's funny you mentioned the John Williams stuff because uh, and if people don't know who John Williams is, and a lot of people don't. If you if you think of a, a tune in a movie that is really catchy or well known, it's probably John Williams. So, any Star Wars, Jaws, Superman, Jurassic Park, uh, Harry Potter, uh, Indiana Jones, Indiana Jones. I it just the list goes on and on and on and on and on. So we saw him in concert a couple of times at the Hollywood Bowl um, when he was conducting the the L.A. Philharmonic, and it was awesome. Um, and you know, I remember back the first time we saw him, which was probably three or four years ago now he brought out kobe bryant and kobe did a live read of the animated uh short film that he did that won him an, an oscar and john williams uh composed the the music to it so it was a live read from kobe with john williams orchestrating it and it's even more special now that he's gone uh, and then last year we went to see him uh at the hollywood bowl and steven spielberg came out and explained what goes behind music to a scene and he played a scene from indiana jones that was just the sound effects so you hear like the grunting and like the whip crack and all this stuff and no no music below it and he says this is what i delivered to john and then john works his magic and then they played the scene again while they conducted to the scene it was just awesome um so yeah uh, i mean my geekdom goes beyond just what's on screen for for star wars it goes to the next level with with john williams too and uh i know a, an old friend of ours uh lawrence fan is very proud of you seeing john john williams in, in you concert. heard about that huh you heard about that yeah you talked about it on the on, on your show on, on, during your broadcasts uh when they had the star wars uh, playing at halftime at San Jose State. Yeah, yeah. Lawrence, I, I told him I was taking a weekend because we, I think we played a Friday football game. And I said, I'm taking the weekend because I'm going down to L.A. to watch John Williams. And he goes, good for you. Good for you. <laughs> Just like, he, you know, very, very subtle, very yeah. straight face. Yeah. That's Lawrence Fan. Yeah. Uh, athletic or uh, 
media relations director at San Jose State. Uh, my boss while I interned within the department. That's actually really how I got to know Justin. Yeah. Besides being the the what I refer to as a snot nosed reporter who couldn't find the gold room on day one. Uh, that's all right. It's, <laughs> um, it's, it's called the gold room, but it's not gold. So that's that's the problem probably that you had. Yeah, I was just wandering around. I didn't know where I was, and I, he come running out of the room to find me walking towards uh, the backside of the stadium on South Campus in San Jose State, uh, and realized I was lost and brought so, me in. So, so what? Here's what I'll do. If you have a Star Wars quote that you want me to get in tomorrow, and I know it's not going to matter because this podcast will come out after the game, I'll get it in. Um. It may be subtle, but I'll get it in. I, I, I think uh, I think uh, a one from um, I would go with uh, Han Solo. Okay. Chewie, we're home. Chewie, we're home. Okay. I think that would be a good. Okay, so from Force Awakens, so the the new trilogy. Yeah. Chewie, we're okay. I got you. I got you. I got I, you. I think that'd be a nice touchdown. You could you could slide that in with a touchdown somewhere. Okay. Okay. Okay, I'll figure out a way to get it in. Don't you worry. Because you're making, because you're ma- we're making uh, Sam Boyd Stadium our home stadium this week, <laughs> so I, I think it really slides right in there. If we, especially mm. if, you, if we score on the first drive, you know, march down. Hey man, I'll either make it subtle or I'll make it brutally blatant. <laughs> and uh, let's talk about the films. Uh, we we have the the three pack of trilogies. We have the the originals, we have the prequels, and then we have the, I don't even know they're called the last three these, uh-huh. these days, but, because uh, I'm not super into Star Wars. I didn't get, I didn't really discover it until high school when my friends actually explained it to me because sure. I was really lost. Cause sure. Because as we know, we jump into the middle of the story. Sure. And, and A New Hope. Um where do you see all these movies uh, if you were to rank the trilogies? Ooh, you're asking me to rank them now? Oh, boy. No, not oh, individually. Not individually. Oh, oh, okay, okay. But the trilogies themselves as a group of three. That's tough. I mean, obviously, the first the first three, the original three, are the, that's the best trilogy. Yeah. I mean, Empire Strikes Back is, in my opinion, one of the greatest movies ever. Um, I would have said that the potential for the most recent trilogy was the best because the force awakens set it up so nicely with a lot of different things with snoke and with kylo ren and the the storyline of ray's parents and all of that stuff but then the bottom fell out in the second movie (laughs) um i agree with you there yeah i struggled with that one yeah it 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 and it, it, they tried to rescue it in the third one, and they, they did a nice fan service, but it still didn't didn't tie enough of it together for me. Um, and then the first trilogy, the prequel trilogy, uh, Revenge of the Sith is awesome. Awesome yeah. movie. Phantom Menace is terrible. Terrible movie. <laughs> so I, I would probably go the original trilogy, uh, and then the most recent trilogy, and then the prequel trilogy. I, I heard a conspiracy theory the other day that Jar Jar Binks is actually a Sith Lord. 
Okay, so have you actually have you read much into this? Because no, I haven't. I want you to. I want you to dive in with this for me. It, it, it could be legit. Like, and if that was the way that George Lucas had originally anticipated going with it, and he got talked out of it, I think it would have been great because the idea is that Jar Jar plays this clumsy, you know, creature that doesn't really know his place in the galaxy, but he's doing it because. He is a secret Sith Lord that wants to find Anakin Skywalker or, or the chosen one that they didn't know who, who it was at that point and turn him to the dark side. And he infiltrated the Jedis and, and the, the Jedi Council as a result of that. Uh, but I don't think they pulled the trigger on it because they, they just figured he's such, such a goofy character that would be too much of a flip. But if they had made that flip, wouldn't that be almost similar to Luke, I'm your father? Right? In, 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 yeah. Uh, I mean, that, 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 that script flipped would be right around there because you would not expect it at all. What we did expect was the bad guy that was established to be the bad guy that was established. Um, but yeah, that was, that was the theory. Uh, and there's, you know, that, that's the reason why Jar Jar can stay alive in that battle scene. And I don't know, he's a hated character, but he's a character. <laughs> but I, I also, I did hear that part of it was the, the really came about was he convinced the Senate to, to uh, yeah he, he infiltrated the Senate too yeah yeah but I, I don't think the tie the tie in there is that that um, Palpatine didn't control him like he wanted to control ultimately Dooku and then Darth Vader yeah um, I guess they could have made that crossover though but it would have been more of a stretch for fans to understand why this clumsy buffoon of a character is now the smartest sith lord like it doesn't make sense but you can write anything i mean they they they, darth maul came back to life and boba fett's now back to life in the mandalorian so anything's possible on the on paper i guess but did boba fett actually die no absolutely not i mean apparently not yeah Uh, (laughs) the the sarlacc where you're digested over a thousand years apparently wasn't that challenging to get out of uh Speaking Again, of my, my 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 nerd my nerd uh, my nerd <laughs> engine are starting to burn. Speaking of the Mandalorian, uh, I have uh, seen part of the first season. Uh, haven't dove completely into it. Uh, oh, you got to watch it, man! First yeah. season, first season has its ups and downs. The second season, whoo, whoo, real good. I, I know Bill Burr makes a cameo. Uh, yeah. One of my favorite comedians. Uh, Everybody loves Baby Yoda. What's your theory on the little green guy? Oh gosh, um, I well, since you haven't seen the second season, I I I, I um I don't want to divulge too much. Uh, let's just make the announcement because I'm okay with it. Spoiler alerts: <laughs> If you haven't seen The Mandalorian season two, you might want to pause this, watch it, and return to yeah. the BS perspective. Yeah. Um. So uh, one of my favorite characters in any Star Wars on-screen experience is Ahsoka Tano, who is um, from the Clone Wars, which is the animated series. And she's now brought to life in this second season of The Mandalorian because um, they want to find out what baby Yoda is, why he's so Force-sensitive. And you, you realize that he was at the Jedi Temple when Order 66 was performed and he got away somehow because some Jedi saved him. So you don't know who the Jedi that saved him was, but um, 
he, he is brought to this stone to connect to other Jedi and he does that. And that's where we are right now. So it sounds like he was being trained to be a Jedi and was protected because they didn't want him to be killed or turned. And he doesn't really know what he is yet. So my opinion is that we'll find out that um, another Jedi named Ezra from another series saved him and protected him by putting him somewhere in isolation or, or whatnot. Um, but we'll see, I guess. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm excited just to watch. I, I'm excited that they're branching out beyond the Skywalkers. Yes, me too. Uh, me too. Uh, nine films of Skywalkers is, uh, I think, is enough. You know, getting out. I, I really enjoyed the uh, Han Solo film, the solo film for him. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 yeah. I enjoyed that one, and I enjoyed Rogue One a lot. I, Rogue One's my favorite, one of my favorite Star Wars movies. I, I feel like uh, Han Solo uh, got a really bad rap as a movie from some people, but uh, I thought it was well done. You know, you yeah. can't you can't be Harrison Ford in that in that moment uh, because I feel like that's a the character that Han Solo is builds into that that bravado that Han Solo plays from the young character that we see mm-hmm. in Solo to right. what we get as as Han Solo as Harrison Ford. So, yeah. um, moving on, final topic of the uh, podcast. Uh, my guest Justin Allegre, broadcast voice of the San Jose State Spartans. Uh, I like the goofy stuff. I like the weird okay. stuff. Uh, we've had this triangular metal monolith uh, <laughs> or versions of it popping up all over uh, the United States and around the world. Some key spots it's popped up. Uh, first spotted in uh, San Juan County, Utah, with unknown origins. Uh, it, and it was dismantled and removed by a group of uh, individuals who are pro uh environment uh don't leave a footprint people and i support that uh thought process when you're entering nature but it's gone it disappeared don't know where it came from uh other places piatra mint romania i hope i pronounced that right my romanian's a little off it's a local romanian newspaper uh reports that the monolith has disappeared uh, and apparently it was made by a bad welder. Hmm. <laughs> uh, that's what they say, but they don't know who made it. Interesting. Um, based on the way it was built, there's been one in a Tascadero, which is about 40 to 50 minutes, uh, 40 to 50 miles north of me. Yeah. Uh, that one was claimed to be the work of artist Wade McKenzie, Travis uh, Kinney, uh, Randall Kinney, and Jared Riddle. And then there's been a couple in uh, around Canada, specifically the first one in Manitoba. What do you think of this monolith, especially the original one where the origins are really unknown? Well, clearly, um, the person you need to get onto this podcast is is the guy that you want to that does the alien talk on. What, who, what's his name again? Uh, Giorgio Sukulos. Yes, that that guy would know everything about the monoliths because. I have no, I have no idea. <laughs> I, I I love the fact that somebody, I mean, in in all 
logic here, it's somebody that's putting it out there as a piece of artwork, right? Just like crop circles, right? Somebody probably did those. I just love that somebody's trolling the world by doing more of them, you know, like <laughs> the time and effort it takes to put up some of those things, probably a lot. And then they just are laughing about it behind the scenes as they watch the world completely melt down over these things. Yeah. Uh, the one locally here close to me was actually replaced three times or mm -hmm. twice after the first one was stolen by unknown origins. Yeah. yeah. You know, the second one was uh, defaced and uh, by a, uh, what appears to be a Christian group out of Orange County. Interesting. Uh, who was anti-aliens. Okay. Uh, and, and basically thought it was alien because they didn't know about the first one disappearing. Sure. Because the people who made it were paying attention to it. Okay. And when the second one came up famously missing, they felt it was only the right to replace it and the people, the community around Tascadero have really come to embrace it uh, as a piece of art because they know who it comes from. I mean, I'm all about that. I'm all about, you know, I, I love Banksy because he just does crazy artwork and doesn't really care about it. And he does it on the street and people go crazy over it. And he's just kind of like, whatever, I'm not going to reveal myself. And he put the piece of artwork that got shredded as soon as it was bought. I mean, it's cool. It's like, it's, it's comical. It's fun. And I'm all for that stuff too. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It, it's a, it's either something that started a worldwide phenomenon or or a very calculated uh, worldwide effort. I'm not sure. So you don't believe in aliens? I I take it. Now I that that that's a different conversation now. Let's that's a different conversation now. Because some believe these are these are uh, you know they some believe at least the one in 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 Utah. Because they don't know the exact origins, they know when they, they estimate when it popped up. Yeah. Uh, but it was found in 2020, uh, so they believe it could have been. You know, some say it was aliens. I think, from a scientific perspective and from a mathematical logic, that alien life exists. Right. That the, the the universe is too big to not have other life on other planets. Do I think they placed a silver monolith in the middle of the Utah desert? Probably not. <laughs> well, I think it's safe to say that there, you know, how we classify alien life, there is alien life outside uh, our planet, outside our atmosphere. Uh -huh. They found a plankton growing on the space shuttle uh, out in space, and they've right. tried to, and they've tried to, they've done the calculations. There's no way it survives the the exit of Earth's atmosphere. Sure. So they've determined that it's come from somewhere else. So that in itself, that is a form of life that is extraterrestrial. Uh huh. It's not intelligent. You know, is there intelligent not life? Not that we're aware of. <laughs> not that we're aware of. You know, it, it could be Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, where the dolphins are really the smartest creatures on this planet. Hey, and you never know. And all we got to do is stick our thumb out. Chewy, we're home. <laughs> <laughs> we'll wrap that up there. That's a perfect way to close it. Justin, I really appreciate you joining us, uh, uh, joining me, not us, because uh, I'm the only one here. But appreciate you joining me for my inaugural episode of The BS Perspective.
Uh, any last words before we uh, part ways? I want to uh, congratulate you on getting your podcast started. And uh, I always will uh, will follow you and look forward to to what you do next. And keep grinding, man. Your, your work is showing and you're getting better. And uh, I appreciate you thinking of me for your per- first podcast. And I was happy to join you. Uh, hopefully we can ha- have you on at some point as a returning guest. I'm going to go through the line. Uh, and knock off some important people. There you go. Uh, before we return, uh, you can follow Justin Allegre on Twitter. Uh, Justin Allegre. You want to spell out your last name for them? Make sure that would be A L L E G R I. And then you can also find them justinallegre.com. The BS Perspective on Twitter, B Stanley Media. You can go to the BS Perspective.com for all your social media links to follow me. Give me a like. Give me a shout out. I'd love to hear from you. Appreciate your time. And we'll be back in two weeks, only on Tuesdays. This one goes out to my grandmother, Aletha May Stanley. This one's dedicated to you. You have been listening to The BS Perspective with Brian Stanley, a production of Brian Stanley Media. The BS Perspective is produced by Jonathan Marinero. For inquiries about the show, please visit thebsperspective.com.